0: So this morning, we are in our second to last week, covering the first four chapters of the book of John, which focuses on Jesus' impact in the world, when he came and the impact that he still has today. Now we're going to be in the back half of chapter four today, starting in verse 26. I will have the verses available on the screen. Always encourage you to open up your Bible or turn on your Bible and follow along there. Don't have a Bible. We always have one in the seat back in front of you. And you can take it home if you ain't got one. Now, where we've been the last couple of weeks is this conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. right? Remember, Jesus met a woman at the well, a Samaritan, said, hey, can you give me a drink of water? And he uses this request as an illustration that just like we all get physically thirsty, we're all spiritually thirsty as well. We are all thirsty for meaning, for purpose, for identity. We're all thirsty for love. And we talked about how only God can satisfy, satisfy these thirsts. Then last week, we continued this conversation, and we saw, because we're all spiritually thirsty, that every single one of us is going to worship something in our lives. Every single one of us is going to take something and make it most important. It will be the thing that we sacrifice our time for, our money for, our energy for. It's the thing that we look to for worth and value. But We talked about how the God of the Bible is the only one worthy of our worship. But that worship In God doesn't mean just coming to church on Sunday morning. It means a life of faith that is devoted to him seven days a week in every aspect of our lives. And that brings us to today. Just as Jesus is finishing up this teaching, the disciples finally came back from town because they went to town to try to get some lunch. And this is where we're going to pick the story back up. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Since back then, men and women did not talk publicly, right? They didn't usually, unless it was your wife, not even sometimes then did they, did they interact. But no one said anything. No one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him and saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Verse 34. But Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39. Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, where she said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus obviously makes a huge impact on this woman. She carried up in the heat of the day. She comes up to get water. She leaves her water jar to go back to town. Tell everybody about this man that she just met. And while she's doing this, the disciples are concerned, like, Jesus, you all need to eat something. And like he does many times in the gospel, he uses this as an opportunity to teach the disciples something. Look back here to verse 32. He says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And he goes on to say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, I got to admit, if I was there, I probably would have been like one of the disciples. I'd be like, Jesus, it's lunchtime. Let's get our Lunchables out. We got you the one with the Capri Sun and the Oreo in it. Just like you like, you need to eat. You need your strength. But we need to pay attention to how Jesus responds. Because he's setting an example for his disciples. Because like Jesus, they had work to do. He's also setting an example for you and me, because like the disciples, you and I have work to do. Do you know that this morning? God has work for you to do, that he has selected specifically for you. And we know where this work comes from. We know this verse well. It's the very last words that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and behold, I am surely with you always to the very end of the age. If you sit here today and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has work for you to do. All of the other pursuits in your life, all of the other ga- the goals that you aim for, all of the other things that you worry about and strive for, they all pale in comparison to this one assignment. I mean, this was the last, when he gave this verse, this was the last time Jesus was going to talk to his disciples. And if it is the last time you are going to talk to your disciples, you are going to like save for them the most important thing. You're not going to hem and haw like, hey guys, it's been good, see you later. You will want to give them the most clearest and most important direction that you can give them. What is the most important thing that you can say to them because they're now going to carry on without you? And of all the things he says, he gives this one final command. Go and make disciples. And as we talked about in the, in the book of Acts when we were studying that, when we read this, we should understand that the last command of Jesus should be our first concern. The last command of Jesus should be our first concern. Can that be said of you this morning? Is the last command of Jesus your first concern? I mean, think about it. If Jesus is who he says he is, we are walking around this world with the cure for depression and and brokenness and, and anger and and bitterness for jealousy. We're walking around with the cure for sin, all the things that have broken this world. You have the cure. You got it. You have it. It is a true statement that God does not save us so we can go to church on Sundays and then die and go to heaven. We have work to do. I don't care how young you are or how old you are, until you breathe your last breath, you have work to do. Now, when we normally think of work, we don't normally think of nourishment or satisfaction. I mean, we might have some really good days, but I mean, how many of you come from home from work and someone says, "How is your day?" and you're like, "Man, I just feel nourished today." That nine to five just it nourished me, it healed my soul. I mean, when was the last time you ever said that about your child? But that's what Jesus is implying about the work that He gives us to do. Look at here at verses thirty-two through thirty-four. He goes, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus says, doing what God has given me to do, it's my food. It's my nourishment. It's what sustains me. It's what gives me strength. Have you ever thought about God's work for you in that way? Well, amen. Apparently only one of you. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Listen, I've in my life, I've found a lot of things that give me joy, that keep me going. But I've also learned as I've become more obedient to the Lord over the years, that there's nothing better, nothing better than when you get to be a part of God's plan for revealing his son to somebody. There's nothing greater. And if you have never experienced it, you got it. There is nothing better than bringing hope to someone who does not have hope. There's nothing better than helping see someone see that there is something greater outside of their hurts and their pains and their mistakes and their worries and their fears. And there's nothing better than helping a broken marriage become whole. Broken families become whole. My daughter, Ella, my youngest, we have this book that we read. It's called The Pout-Pout Fish. And he's just this fish that's just blah. In fact, he says it in the book, blah. And I feel like there are many Christians out there that their Christian life is just blah. You got a Bible, so you read your Bible. You have a church, so you go to church. You have songs. So you sing some songs. But in the end, it's all just kind of blah. You do it because you know you should do it. You know it's good for you. But it's just (laughs) deflated faith. In my experience, I propose to you that a good reason that it's probably dull and boring and blah is because you're sitting on your spiritual behind doing nothing for the Lord. You've become weak and lazy in your Christian life. You're spiritually starving yourself because there's a part of your diet that you're leaving out. Charles Spurgeon he said this to his church. He said if you would just roll up your sleeves for the work and go and tell the gospel to dying men and women, you would find your spiritual health mightily restored for very much of the weakness of Christians comes from their doing absolutely nothing. But when you make that decision to start doing the work of the Lord, the work that is hard, that's intimidating, that's scary, that causes you to take risks and exciting, it, it, it makes you alive inside. And if when you, you know what I'm talking about, when you feel the Holy Spirit going... I want you to call that person and tell them about Jesus. I want you to walk over there and invite that person to church. I want you to go tell that person that you're praying for them. And then you, fly, go, you feel the Holy Spirit tap you, and then you feel like your your feet start moving. Or I, I want you to go confront this person on their sin. Or I, I want you, this person, you don't forgive them. I want you to go uh, show them forgiveness and show them who Christ is. And you start, you're feeling, you're, you're moving towards doing it, and your adrenaline starts pumping because you're feared, and, and, and there's anxiety, and you're like excited, and... And then then you do it. And then you're like, I can't believe I just did that. God asked me to do it. I did it. Independent of how they responded, you're like, man, I was obedient to the Lord. Praise Jesus. There is nothing like it. Tim Keller says that until you know the joy of harvesting, you don't know what it means to live a satisfying Christian life. And it is so true. There's nothing better and I see it in somebody, you come to me, and you be like, I told somebody something about Jesus, and they're coming to church, and you're all excited. Or I've had people come to me, and they'll be like, oh, I went up to someone, and I prayed, and I'm like, well, what happened? They said nothing, they did nothing. But I'm still excited, because I did it. It's awesome. I don't even have the words to describe, because you're bringing the cure for the world to people. Now, for some of us, spiritual apathy is not the problem. But it's this self-image that you have no ability to tell people about Jesus. That's for pastors or evangelists or I am too screwed up or I missed too many opportunities, blah, 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 blah. We've all had these arguments with ourselves. Even us pastors, we do this. But this passage right here, it literally should wipe away any of those concerns or objections. Because like if the woman at the well can make a difference, then so can you. And we don't understand this to its fullest degree because we don't live in that culture. But remember, this was a woman who had five husbands. And she was now with a man who was not her husband. She was working on number six. And that made her a cultural and social pariah. She was trapped in a life of immorality. She was a social outcast. There was no way backwards for her. There's no way forwards for her. All she could do was eke out a daily existence, going to the well at the hardest part of the day to avoid being ridiculed and sneered and mocked because of her life. But now after meeting Jesus, she has literally become the first evangelist to the Samaritan people. It is a true statement that God can use anyone and everyone. He can use anyone and everyone. Not anyone and everyone minus you. Anyone and everyone. Sometimes when we have the worst, most messed up backgrounds, it makes us the best Candidates to display the glory of God. People will be like, man, if God can help that screw up, then there's got to be hope for me. And when he sees, people see your messed up, hurting life and Jesus turn it around, see you overcome addiction or see you overcome bitterness and pain and hurt of the past, that speaks to people. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what skills you think you have or don't have. I don't care about your personality, introvert, extrovert, if you're good with words. None of it matters. If you are willing, God can use you to bring people in your life right now to him. I mean, I pray that we would all take the attitude, I don't know his name, but this came, it was, it's in a song that came out re- recently, but really it originated with this Uh, a Christian elevator operator in, in, in Nashville. He said this, I am literally just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Oh, I pray that for this church. I pray that that would be the attitude that every single one of us would just wrap around us. Are you with me, church? Now, for some of us, this sounds real scary. I've had this conversation with so many people because you feel like I don't feel equipped to tell people about Jesus. I don't know what to say. I don't want to mess it up and like damn them to hell because like I screw it up. What if I can't answer all their objections and questions? You ever felt that way? I mean, once again, look at the woman at the well. Like, what did she really know? She literally had one conversation with Jesus one. She did not study apologetics. She did not take a course in soteriology, the study of salvation. I mean, she didn't even totally understand if this was a Christ. And even if she did understand it was the Christ, she did not fully understand what the Christ came to do because they were all looking for a political leader back then, a military leader, not a spiritual one. All she said is like, look, this guy told me everything I ever did. Uh, I think he might be the Christ. You all need to come and see him. That was literally all she said. I don't know everybody in this room, but I'm pretty sure of everybody I know, you all have the ability to say this. Now don't get me wrong, we should study. We should know our faith. We should know the reason that we put our faith in Jesus because everybody puts our faith in something, but he is the only one who is worthy. First Peter 3, 15 says, Always be prepared. To give an answer, or to give the reason for the hope that you have for anyone who asks why. We do, should do these things, but we're making a grave, grave mistake if we're waiting until we feel ready. Because like I said, the power of God can overcome any deficiency. He can use anyone. And two, because we're, like we just pointed out, there is so much power in a good story. There is so much power in your story. Being able to share your story is the greatest tool that you have in revealing Jesus to the world. No one needs to be trained to share what God has done in their lives. God's done something in your lives. You have something to share. You're ready to go. I've used this analogy before, and it feels timely since the football season is starting uh, this weekend. I am from Seattle, so I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. Uh, I'm from Seattle, and I love Jesus. That's why I'm a Seahawks fan. When the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, nobody had to tell Seahawks fans how to share the story because they lived it. They lived it. It went something like this. The Seahawks, being a franchise for 37 years, finally go to a Super Bowl where they lose because they are defeated by the evil and cheating Ben Roethlisberger of Pittsburgh and his fake touchdown that was never a touchdown, but they could call it a touchdown, by those wretched, corrupt referees. And people would say, what good could come out of Seattle? Can anything good come from Seattle. But then, in 2013, the same year I came to New Jersey where the Super Bowl was held, not saying they're connected, but you never know, (laughs) with the Legion of Boom, with the Beast at running back, and Russell Wilson, the Seahawks defeated. They embarrassed Peyton Manning and his minions of darkness from the Broncos. And they held the trophy up high for all to see. Can I get an amen? Thank you, I appreciate that. I wasn't expecting to get amens from bitter Giants and Jets fans. That's all right. Now, listen, I'm not trying to compare the Super Bowl (laughs) to salvation because I don't get struck by lightning. But my simple point is when Jesus moves in your life, it's impossible not to experience change. And so basically, your story is telling that change. Here's where I was before Jesus. Here's where I am now. Like Zacchaeus, that cheating tax collector. His story is like, look, I used used to be gripped by greed, but now because of Jesus, I give everything to the poor. The woman at the well, I used to be uh, shunned by my community, but now I proclaim the gospel. Simply put, what is your before? an after story. Now since coming here, I've ran into a few people. They feel conflicted here because like, they don't have this salvation moment like where they come and they pray to prayer to altar call. Like, They don't have that moment and, and they, so they struggle. Like, am I a Christian? Your salvation is not dependent on you remembering a moment where you prayed a prayer. Your salvation is dependent And you putting your faith in the moment that Christ died from the cross and rose again. And you living with Him as Lord of your life. And so maybe it's not a before and after story, but maybe it's a a where He brought you from story. Especially if you grow up as a Christian. Like I I remember when I was a youth pastor in Bellevue, Washington, and I had the senior pastor's kid come up to me and he goes, I just don't feel like I have a good testimony to share. I didn't do drugs. You know, I wasn't a gang member. I'm like, dude, you're only 12. (laughs) But he's like, I don't have this exciting story. And I said, but what have you learned about God growing up? And he shared with me how he learned how God his faith wasn't dependent on going to church or because his parents were Christians, but how he had to know God personally and how God showed up in his life personally. And I said to him, I said, buddy, that story will speak to more people than drugs or addiction. Sometimes it's what you've learned about God that is your story. I remember Brother Matt Woloski, some of you know him, he died a little, I think over a year ago. Brother Matt, he used to say, when I walked in here, I thought, what got me into heaven was my goodies versus my baddies, which outweighed. But he goes, now I know it's not about what I've done or not done. It's about what Jesus did. That was a story. We all have stories. Young people, like I said, you haven't even lived a full life, but you still have a story, and you need to share your story. You're walking into a school every day filled with hundreds of kids who do not know the hope of Jesus. They come from broken homes. They come from broken families. They are lost and confused by our society that's changing its mind every two minutes about what it means to have value. A society that's so confused it doesn't even know if it's a man or a woman anymore. You have that story that can change their lives at such a young age. Now, when I was young and I got excited about Jesus and I was going to church six nights a week and I was dragging, I, I went to everybody about Jesus, I noticed something. Maybe you've noticed this too. Every time you share your faith, people do not drop to their, nece- their knees and receive Christ as their Savior. Anybody else notice that or is it just me? And it can make you feel like, man, I'm horrible at this. I'm like a, I'm like a failure. Jesus speaks to this. Verse 37, he says, For here, the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. In other words, we all have different roles to play in bringing someone to Jesus. Paul says it another way in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but it's only God who gives the growth. In other words, we all have different roles to play. If Paul did not plant, Apollos would have nothing to water. If Apollos did not water, the things that Paul planted would die. And I feel like this truth takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off when we go to share our story, to share Jesus with people. And it also gives me hope for all those times I tell people about Jesus, or all those times I see people walk in here, sit down, look bored out of their mind, and then they're out of here as quick as they can be. It gives me hope that maybe something that I've said or I've done will plant a seed or it'll water it. And they're like, maybe one day after I breathe my last breath, I'll be walking in heaven, and I'm gonna get the shock of my life that I'm gonna see one of those people. And they'll say, the thing you said or the thing you did it helped get me closer to Christ. And then really, that's what I consider evangelism. And Bill Hybels, in his book, Walk Across the Room, I thought he made a great point. He said that really evangelism is this. It's moving people closer to Christ. That's it. Moving people closer to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And he gave this illustration. He said, look, think of it this way that when we have no faith in God, we don't believe in him, or nothing, we want nothing to do, and we're like at a minus 10. This is the scale he puts in his book. And he said, "Then, then you think of somebody who finally puts their faith in Christ, they're a plus one, all right? He said, so what happens is God brings people into their lives at different points that moves them along this scale. He said, maybe somebody sees you as a Christian, they know you're a Christian, but you act like it. You're nice, you're kind, you stand up for your faith, you serve others. You don't compromise. And, so, and they see this genuineness in you. And so it moves them from a minus 10 to a minus 8. Or maybe you go to a, an Autumn Lights Festival. Someone goes to the Autumn Lights Festival and they see us there serving their kids and stuff. And it takes them from like a, a minus 8 to, a, you know, a minus 7, let's say. Or you invite someone to church and it takes them from a minus 6 to a, a minus 3. Or you share with somebody what God has done in your life and it takes them from a minus four to a minus one. Or or maybe you you answer these tough questions or really chewing on and it takes them from a minus two to a minus one. And then sometimes you're blessed to be the one to follow up all those people who brought them closer to be the one that actually leads them to Christ. Man, that takes the pressure off. It's not my job to get them saved. It's my job is to show them Christ and help them take that next step. It's estimated, I read one study, and, and I feel like it's true based on my pastoral life as, as, as I've interact, interacted with people, that it takes six or seven times for someone to really hear the gospel for them to really commit their lives to the Lord. But every one of those six or seven times, somebody was moving them a little bit closer. I mean, how would it change your confidence, your outlook, To walk up and say, God, help me to move this person closer to you. Now listen, this is an excuse to not have tough conversations as God tells you to. It's not an excuse like not to share the gospel with them. Like, I'm just going to move them here and let somebody else move them here. Don't get me wrong. You still have to be obedient to the Lord because he might be like, you know, they at 10, but we're about to go to minus 1 right now. But it takes the pressure off that at the end of the day, My obedience to the Lord in doing his work is just doing what he's calling me to do. It might be to plant, it might be to water, and it might be to harvest. Lord, just help me to know what it is and be faithful in it. Are you with me, church? It makes me wonder as I was writing this message, the people who were listening, who are the people in your life who don't know Jesus, and what role does God have you to play? Where is He where has He assigned you to help move them? What's your role in their lives? And I, I'm like, as I'm speaking, as I pray, like they're they're coming to your mind. You can see them. Their names are coming to your mind. But to do this, we gotta be willing to go. If you read all the interactions, someone did the math on this, one commentator, and and they said, if you read all the gospel encounters, there's 132. 122 of those took place outside of a religious building. Jesus went to people. He went. The beautiful thing here is that we already go. Every day you get up. You go to school you go to work, you go to church, you go to Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, whatever, you go to the grocery store, we all have places we go. We all have work to do wherever we go. If we would be willing to be focused on doing the Lord's work, to get up every day and say, Lord, as I go into every situation, if you have work for me to do, I pray I sense it. I pray I have the courage to do it. And you never know what those small conversations, the things that you don't even think twice about, or you feel like failures may bring. There's this old saying, that large doors swing on small hinges. What conversation, what offer for prayer what kind word, what invitation to church may bring someone closer to knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior.